Hey everybody, how's it going? This is Hub and welcome back to another episode of Titan Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. As I believe I may have just mentioned, my name is Hub and I hope you're having a fine whenever the heck it is you end up listening to this. Me? I'm doing okay. It's a nice morning. I guess you could even say it's a pretty morning. But I wouldn't go so far as to say that it's a beautiful morning. I mean, sure, there is a nice golden haze on the meadow. But frankly, the corn height is not where I would like it to be at. I mean, an elephant could easily look over all of this corn. I wonder if the Oklahoman morning weather reports always have corn height as a factor, and if it's generally described in terms of where the corn comes up to on an elephant, or if it's different animals' eye levels. Like, maybe there's a song that got cut from Oklahoma where he's having a really shitty morning, and it's like, oh, what a shitty morning. There's a dull gray haze on the meadow, and that corn's barely up to a Dewicker's eyeball. Ugh, shitty day. But I'm not having a shitty day, because I get to talk to all of you, and because I came up with a very convoluted context in which I got to use the word Dewicker. Dewicker! It's just fun to say. Anyway, enough of this malarkey, let's get into some entirely different malarkey. Without any further ado, let's, uh, do this. Today's synopsis rhyme, as so many of late are, is submitted by Devin Tuhey. Calling someone a bozo is what Wolfman calls a top diss, and I don't call this a summary, I'm calling this a synopsis. Thanks, Devin. I'm getting a little uh, Gilbert and Sullivan flair on that one. Don't know if that was intended, but I liked it. Thanks. New Teen Titans, number 40, March 1984. Lifeblood. Written by Marf Wolfman, drotted by George Perez. Inkted by George Perez and Romeo Tangal, lettered by Bob LaPan, colored by Adrian Roy, and edited by Marv Wolfman and George Perez. Man, Perez is pulling like three checks off this comic. Good for you. New Teen Titan Roll Call Wonder Girl, Beast Boy, Raven, Starfire, Cyborg, Terra, and Dick. Previously in the New Teen Titans. The gang continued their investigation of supposedly septicentennial cult leader Brother Blood, acting on information provided by Media Maven and secret acolyte of the Church of Blood, Bethany Snow. The Titans invaded the surprisingly spry 700-year-old secret Alaskan stronghold. After stumbling into and out of traps in typical Teen Titan fashion, our heroes found a storage room containing conspicuously convenient evidence linking Brother Blood to several sitting U.S. congressmen. After the team returned to New York and turned the boxes of, quote, evidence, end quote, over to the authorities, Kid Flash announced that he was quitting the team. Which he had already announced six months ago. Only this time he meant it. For real. Hooray! Soon after the stripling speedster re-announced his retirement from costumed crime fighting, Robin made a startling announcement of his own. Tired of living in his mentor, the Batman's shadow, the boy Wonder would no longer be using his alter ego of Robin for his felony-foiling functions. Until the acrobatic adolescent figured out a new nom de guerre, the Titans would just have to learn to call him Dick. Somehow, I don't think that's going to be a problem. 
The unmasked aerialist also announced that while he was searching for a new super suit nim, he would cede leadership of the Teen Titans to the team's next most senior member, Wonder Girl. Hooray! Also, unbeknownst to her teammates, the Titans' newest member, a brash young earthbending orphan named Terra, was secretly an undercover agent sent to infiltrate our titular teenage team by the gang's frequent foe, Deathstroke the Terminator, a superpowered assassin who uses 90% of his brain but only 50% of his eyeballs. Gadzooks! Will Wonder Girl's leadership style continue in the tried-and-true Teen Titan tradition? After 700 years, how does Brother Blood stay looking so young? And, after being Robin since he was eight years old, will the next identity Dick Grayson assumes also be bird-themed? Stay tuned to find out. Okay, so, well, she has a terrible encounter with the media and then leads the team into a trap, so I'd say that's a definite yes. A strict regimen of diet, exercise, and bathing in the boiling blood of his enemies. And, sort of. I mean... Technically, he disguises himself as an eagle, so there's that. In the subterranean depths below the Church of Blood, on the seemingly idyllic but secretly populated entirely by criminals, Baltic nation of Zandia, a dark and sinister ritual is taking place. A lady in a sexy satanic nun sort of outfit named Mother Mayhem leads a group of acolytes to watch their perfidious pontiff, Brother Blood, take a bath. Oh... So it's that kind of church. Well, yes, among other things, but this is no ordinary bath. Is it a bubble bath? Again, yes, there appear to be bubbles involved, but that really isn't the point. I would say that the defining characteristic of this particular bath is that the bathing liquid is a combination of lava and blood, specifically the blood of the supposedly septicentennial cult leader's enemies because it's that kind of church. Gross. As the self-styled murderous messiah scrubs up in his sinister cistern, Mother Mayhem regales his followers with a vague and mythologized version of Blood's origin story. 600 years ago, Brother Blood was just a regular dude. A sinner, in fact. Wait, I thought he was 700. Wait, was he 100 at the start of his story? Anyway, one day he decided all governments were bad. Fair enough. After that realization, he was taking a bath in some lava, like you do, when some of the blood of his enemies dripped into it. As a result, whammo, he's immortal. Now he bathes in lava and enemy blood all the time, which Mother Mayhem explains makes him super great, and I guess some sort of god or something, and everybody should worship him. Huh. So, back when he was a regular guy, you know, before he had his you-got-peanut-butter-in-my-chocolate-divinity-inducing- Enemy blood, whoopsie. He was already bathing in lava? Okay, just checking. All the followers start chanting up about how great Brother Blood is and how cool it is to worship him. When the allegedly ancient cult leader finishes up his tub time, he straps on a white Dracula cape and a creepy spiky helmet and addresses his parishioners, agreeing with them that yes, he is great and worshiping him is a pretty darn good idea. Meanwhile, in his adopted father's palatial estate on Long Island, Garfield Logan, a.k.a. Beast Boy, is being a jackass. He's also being a koala, a monkey, and a hawk, but mostly, he's being a jackass. Gar's dad, Steve Dayton, the fifth richest and therefore fifth most trustworthy man in America, has hired a private tutor for his emerald adoptee and his traitorous teammate, Tara. It's not going well. Beast Boy turns himself into an assortment of animals, 
and gropes and harasses the teacher until she quits. This is apparently the sixth instructor the anamorphic asshole has abused in this manner. What a piece of shit. Steve yells at Gar for being such a piece of shit. Hooray! Amazingly, Gar feels bad about what a piece of shit he is, which his butler-slash-financial manager, Questor, thinks is pretty funny. Beast Boy and Tara fly off to meet the rest of the Titans at a cable studio downtown where the team is scheduled to be interviewed on secretly evil reporter Bethany Snow's show, Snowstorm. On the way, Gar asks the duplicitous dirt distributor, Hey, I guess that could mean either Bethany Snow or Tara. Wordplay. I meant Tara. Anyway, Gar is like, Hey, I noticed that you lie about everything all the time, almost like someone who intended to infiltrate the team and betray us would do. I guess what I'm saying is, we all think you're neat. Tara appears to be moved by her harassment-prone teammates' well-meaning nonsense, and seems as though she may be rethinking the whole betrayal thing. Once they arrive at the studio and meet up with their super buddies, things don't go so great. In the interview segment, the Titans appear opposite a panel of new congressmen who were recently elected after the removal from office of those politicians who were implicated by the, quote, evidence, unquote, that the Titans found in Alaska in that box that was basically marked Brother Blood's super secret files that he sure hopes no teen Titans find and turn over to the authorities because he would just hate that. The new congressmen are condescending jerks to the Titans. Then, Brother Blood is interviewed via satellite. Blood is super charismatic, winning over both the studio audience and the home viewers, and somehow appearing to be charming and reasonable, despite the fact that he is named Brother Blood and is wearing a Dracula cape and a demonic helmet covered in horns and spikes. Blood declares himself to be innocent of any wrongdoing, and says that he is a humble and peaceful religious leader, and that the president of Zandia is the real bad guy. When the Congress people present all agree that Blood seems like a solid dude, the Titans get flustered and yelly. They come across looking immature and ill-informed. Which I guess they are, but come on! They're the good guys! After the demoralizing interview, the Titans commiserate about their poor showing and try to plan their next step. Well, that's what most of the Titans do. Beast Boy just keeps suggesting shitty new superhero names for Dick to use, then he turns himself into a dog so he can look up Starfire's skirt. Man, fuck you, Gar. A week later, Dick decides to go undercover. He puts on a blonde wig and a fake mustache and heads to New Jersey to meet up with the now-disgraced former congresspeople who had been implicated by the information the Titans uncovered in Alaska. Dick introduces himself as a news reporter named Joe Walsh. Like the at-the-time pretty famous musician Joe Walsh. Ah, so that's his new crime-fighting persona. These criminals are a cowardly and superstitious lot. To strike fear into their hearts, I shall don the mantle of former Eagles guitar player Joe Walsh. Evildoers beware. Dick is surprised that the politicians all seem genuine in their proclaimed innocence. He suggests that they all go together on a fact-finding mission to Zandia to get to the bottom of the situation. The statesmen all agree to the plan, and add that reporter Bethany Snow had proposed something similar and should accompany them on their fact-finding mission. What a great plan! U.S. Congress people investigating a sinister cult in a foreign country? When has that ever gone wrong? A few days later, the assorted politicians and members of the press arrive in Zandia. After a brief, uneventful meeting with the Zandian president, the group head to the Church of Blood to personally investigate the compound. In the cult's high-tech control room, Brother Blood's security team somehow manages to identify that Dick is wearing a disguise. So, 
They uncovered that a TV reporter is wearing makeup and a hairpiece? Say, that is suspicious. Back in New York, the rest of the Titans leave the tower in their super-duper state-of-the-art futuristic submarine, which I guess they have had this whole time and have never used. They plot a course for Zandia because Robin, er, Dick, er, Joe Walsh, has activated his emergency signal. A few hours later, they arrive in Zandian waters. They pull up in the water directly under the island nation. Because that's how islands work. Terra uses her powers to create a tunnel through the solid rock above them. It takes all of her might, but the false-faced firmament flinger manages to create an airtight pathway between the submarine and a large ceremonial chamber in the Church of Blood, nearly a mile away from which Joe Walsh's distress signal seems to emanate. Seems like Wonder Girl's been looking at her what-would-dick-do bracelet, because under her leadership, the Titans rush heedlessly into the depths of the enemy stronghold. Oh, I've read enough Teen Titans to know how this one ends. In the immortal words of Admiral Akbar, It's a trap! As soon as the Titans emerge from their tunnel and into the church's chamber, a mysterious gas starts filling the room. And this gas isn't the good kind of gas that a benevolent mentor might dress up as a creepy balloon vendor to dose you with so that you stumble around the city hallucinating your greatest fear for your own good. This is the bad kind. The Titans are knocked unconscious. When they awaken, our heroes find themselves tied to the fangs of a giant demon skull suspended above Brother Blood's bubbling pool of lava and enemy blood. So it's not an ideal situation for them. Blood Villain explains to the trussed-up titans that when he pours his enemy's blood into the lava and then bathes in their blood, then he absorbs his enemy's powers, which is pretty much what he's fixing to do with our titular teens. And what's worse... He has brainwashed and converted their erstwhile leader, Joe Walsh, or, oh, wait, he took the wig and mustache off. I guess he's Dick again, who has just betrayed his friends and led them to their doom. Well, I guess it's not actually worse than hanging them on demon fangs and draining their blood like they were kosher beef and then bathing in that blood, but it's still pretty bad. Man, I never thought Joe Walsh would lead the Titans to their doom. Frankly, that seems like more of a Glenn Fry move. To be continued. And joining us once again is my good-for-many-things brother, Corey. Corey, how are you doing? I am well. How are you? I am also doing well. I'm glad to hear that. Likewise. It's always nice to hear myself say that I'm doing well. Yep. It's a little bit of a surprise to yep. realize that I mean it. Oh. Anyway, what did you think of this comic book? I thought, as always, the artwork was amazing. Mm -hmm. Even more amazing in some senses than usual, because I think, like, blood and fire and caves and large crowds of people are all probably challenging things to draw in the same panel, and mm -hmm. there's a lot of it. There certainly is. Yeah, just obligatory fawning over George Perez's artwork. Full agree. It is wonderful. I loved it, and... This is the first issue, I think, that we've seen where it's both he and Romeo Tangal are inking together his artwork. Both he and Wolfman have picked up extra duties on this issue because they have also taken over as co-editors of the book. So I'm not sure to what extent uh, this series was wildly popular for DC. It was their version of the X-Men, basically, in terms of sales. Mm. and was really by far outselling everything else that they were doing. And I think part of 
that success is that they are given a little bit more free reign and that kind of takes the form of they're about to do a spin-off titan series as well which we have to figure out how we're going to cover and when we're going to cover and if we're going to cover and also things like they are given the responsibility and the privilege of being able to edit their own work it's definitely a vote of confidence in them and also perez is the last issue he inked all of his own work and in this it's him and tangal working together and it's so good it's so good i also think wolfman overall does a really nice job in this issue i think he does his best work when he's working in the genre that borders on horror Mm. I, i think he does a really nice job with that he wrote tomb of dracula for a long time and i really like that series and uh yeah, he and Perez, I, I think, just knock it out of the park with this issue. Agree, agree. That said, very disappointed that uh, Gar is up to his old garbage. Yeah, oh, garbage. Do you think that's where that word comes from? Oh, probably. Probably. We used to just call it trash. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> until he comes along and they're like, oh, yeah, this trash reminds me of somebody. It's Gar Logan. Yes, it's 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 garbage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a real piece of shit in this issue, and... I felt like he had been doing better for a little while, but it may just be that he hasn't been doing much for a little while. Like, he wasn't in the last issue. Mm-hmm. We just haven't seen him. That's yeah, why. yeah. I, so doing... I think maybe, because when I think of the last thing that I remember him doing, it was him in the Outsiders team up tricking Halo into giving him mouth to mouth. But he steps it up a notch even from that in this one. Boy, he does. Yeah, he's he's such a a creepy piece of shit. And it's not just in one scene. It's in two distinct scenes and kind of an underlying theme. Because the opening scene for the Titans is him and Terra being tutored by a woman who his stepdad, the fifth richest and therefore fifth most trustworthy man in America, Steve Dayton, has hired. Oh, Mr. Jupiter. No, but he does his best. He's hired a tutor for them and Gar is getting super handsy and hitting on her and it is creepy and gross and she ends up quitting over it and what makes it even more gross than just a student hitting on his teacher is the fact that she is hired by his dad as a private tutor so there's that added layer of privilege and entitlement that comes with that and of her being in the position of I am hired to do a job and I go to somebody else's house to do the job and then this fucking teenager starts groping me and that it's played for laughs. And then also though that 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 privilege is evidenced by Gar's surprise at the fact that she leaves and him just being like I really thought she thought I was cute. Ugh. Like it just can't occur to him despite that... the fact that this is the sixth time this has happened in relatively short order think that's that that privilege at work you know just the, this assumption of like i'm not doing anything wrong yeah what what's her problem yeah blah boo and he really doubles down on that behavior later on when they're leaving the tv studio he turns himself into a puppy which is cute or maybe just a small dog like a beagle yeah he may have been just a small dog it may not have been a puppy fair point Corey. it doesn't make it better <laughs> no it doesn't Because what he does is he's rapid-fire suggesting terrible alternate nicknames for Robin, now that Robin doesn't want to be called Robin anymore. And during the course of that, he just stops and looks up Starfire's dress and says, Hey, nice to see ya. Dude, fuck you. I read that a few times because at first I was like, oh, they made it accidentally look like he's looking no, for a skirt. No, that is on but purpose. that's too creepy. Yeah. And then I read it again. I was like, nope, that was intentional. Yeah, that is exactly what is happening there. And it's it's gross. 
And, I mean, she just ignores it, but I feel like that's something that the Titans have been putting up with so long that it seems like a non-issue, but that's not something that they should have to continually put up with. Mm -hmm. They should just kill Gar. (laughs) A little (laughs) harsh? A little bit, but I'm so sick of his shit. I am too. Master of Disguise, Boy Wonder. Oh, boy. Wow. Do you mean Joe Walsh? Do I mean blonde dick? <laughs> that was I hadn't realized that was how I noted it down. <laughs> I was reading my notes, I was like, blonde dick? What the Oh, oh. <laughs> He's trying out different alter egos. Yes, he's going undercover, but I wonder if he's thinking like, well, if this works out, maybe my uh, alter ego will just be Joe Walsh. I will sing on stages to adoring fans. Joe yeah, Walsh. yeah. Uh, which I think does end up backfiring on him. But he, yeah, he puts on a blonde wig and a blonde mustache and goes undercover as a TV reporter. It is amazing the extent to which I did not recognize him at all. Like, even, like, being on the lookout for it, it took me half a page into the disguise, and he had to really confirm that he was definitely Dick Grayson before I was willing to buy into that. It really lets you know the extent to which comic books is a medium in which you are used to identifying people by their hair color. And in such a universe, a wig and a mustache is basically plastic surgery. To be fair, like, they drew him differently, like, his face, because it didn't just look like Robin with a mustache and a wig. It looked like a different person, which, in turn, made me think, maybe we've been too harsh on the secret identity slash disguise thing. Like, (laughs) maybe in the DCU... If you put on a pair of sunglasses. I was thinking that, although we do see later on that the Church of Blood apparently has amazing technology, which is wig and mustache detection. (laughs) That panel makes no sense because the picture of him on the screen looks exactly like the pictures of him wearing the disguise. But the thing says the trans whatever a fire has stripped away his disguise. I'm like, no, it didn't. Yeah, no, it is 100% a wig and mustache detector. That is one possibility. The other possibility, which I alluded to earlier, is that it is possible that the Church of Blood are just big fans of the James Gang and the Eagles and Joe Walsh's solo career. And when he showed up and introduced himself as Joe Walsh, they were like, that's not Joe Walsh. We gotta fact check this. Life may have been good to that guy so far, (laughs) but not that good. (laughs) It's no question. (laughs) I mean, does he even got any gum? (laughs) Let's talk about Brother Blood a little bit. Okay, Brother Blood, how old are you anyway? Yeah, we get a couple of different answers in this comic book alone. I feel like it's uh, one of these, what do you call it? Something inflation. When people are like, well, this thing is X amount of things greater than this other thing. And then that X just keeps getting multiplied. I don't know what you're talking about, but it sounds appropriately mathematical. Thank you. I think that it's just a vanity thing, because every other time we've heard him described until this issue, it was he was about 700 years old, or he claimed to be 700 years old. 600, right? This issue, it's 600 at the beginning and 700 at the end. Oh, I had it the other way. I always heard he was 600 years old. I think he's, he said at the beginning of this he's 600. He has said in the past he's 700, and he says at the end that he's 700. Mm. I wonder if it's just like a vanity thing, where he's like, oh, celebrating your 600th birthday again. Uh, you know? 600 and holding. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Lordy, lordy, looks who's 600 again. 
and I got first got my office job in my my twenties. I had a mug that I guess I inherited from the person that used to sit at my desk that said thirty nine and holding. Nice. <laughs> I was very fond of. Yeah. So th- there's that aspect of brother blood that is a little bit confusing. But beyond that, we learn a little bit about his purported to his followers origin. Overall, seems like it's not that dissimilar to the story of Paul from the Bible. Mm. Are you familiar? No. No, my biblical knowledge is poor. Mine is too. I haven't read that book since I was in high school. I have not read that book. I should probably read it again because at the time that I read it, it was of the mindset of being an asshole atheist and wanting to argue with people. I mean, I'm still an atheist and I'm still an asshole, but I try not to combine them as much as I used to. you just don't like arguing anymore. (laughs) Uh, I I like that, but people can believe whatever they want to believe, man. But I do remember the story of Paul because I feel like a lot of the wackier stuff from the Bible is in the Genesis part. First early part, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Whereas this is from the New Testament. Hmm. And I'm probably misremembering this, but Paul is this dude who's like, man, I fucking hate Christians. They're the worst. Fuck those guys. And he gets on his horse and is like, I'm going to go persecute some Christians because that's my jam. And then while he's on the road, he falls off the horse and bumps his noodle and gets up and is like, oh, shit, I just saw God. And he told me that Christians are great and I should totally be a Christian. And also, I need to drop the first letter of my name and change it to a P because previously he had been called Saul. Oh. Yeah. So... As the result of a horse accident and divine intervention, he has to change the first letter of his name and stops being a sinner and starts being a righteous a winner. Oh, that's good. Ah. Yeah. Brother Blood has like, we don't know what the source of his epiphany was, possible horse accident, but we do learn that he used to be a sinner, mm-hmm. but then decided that he has to be a libertarian god. I mean, I'm pretty sure he talks about how, like, part of his being a sinner was not realizing that he had to turn his back on every form of government and instead start his own religion. Part of what's weird about that is if he's six or seven hundred, if this happened 600 years ago the way he said, then that puts him in, like, the late 1300s. Not a lot of division of church and state at that point. Mm. Like, your religion pretty much is your government in a lot of ways. That was They had two different popes at the time, too. Like, he had one in Avignon, France, and he was feuding with the other fella about who gets to run everything. Is he potentially trying to set himself up as a third pope? I don't see why not. Yeah. He's got a collection of fancy hats, which we will definitely get into later. Yeah. But it is also weird that he's like, I used to be a sinner. The definition of sin within the Church of Blood seems to be that the biggest sin is not worshiping Brother Blood. Mm Mm-hmm. So, I guess his sin was... Not worshipping himself? Yeah, lack of self-love. And then he decided that he needed to start worshipping himself. So it seems like there might be some confusion when his followers hear this parable of, oh, so I need to really start believing in myself more. And he's like, no, 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 no. you need to start believing in me more. That's the first bit of, like, mild confusion about his origin as stated in this. The bigger part has to do with lava. Yeah, it's generally pretty hot am i wrong in that it looks like he is bathing in lava you are not wrong he calls it his enemy blood 
but I feel like even if blood is boiling, it is not catching on fire when it comes to the surface. And it's in a subterranean pool. It really seems as though this is lava. And maybe, not maybe, definitely his enemy's blood is being added to that. Mm -hmm. And uh, allegedly that's where he gets his powers from. If that's where he gets his powers from, then what confuses me is, I was taking my bath in lava like I always do. And then some of my enemy's blood fell in that. And I got superpowers. Let's go back a step. You're bathing in lava? Without superpowers. I think you have superpowers. Right, yeah. No, it's it's got to be some sort of a compound uh, solution. I mean, it's there's no way it's 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 all blood. Well, that's, would, the, would that's the thing, so. It seems like lava is doing the heavy lifting, and the lava would, like... Lava is one of those things where when you add stuff to it, you just get more lava. You don't get a new thing. Like stew. You add stuff to it, you get more stew. You don't get a new thing. Or fire. Mm -hmm. Or the Roman Empire. Like, you add more pieces... The, the thing just gets bigger, you don't get a new thing. It seems like that's just lava. Unless you add cold water to it, and then you get rocks. Yeah. Doesn't seem like that's solidifying that stuff, though. No. And, I mean, that's not cold enemy's blood. I mean, some of it looks like it's been there for a little while. He does have his enemies are hanging to these stalactites. It's stalactites? Yeah, they're coming from the ceiling. Sea for ceiling, ceiling. Yep. sea for ground. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, no, it's gross. Yeah. And unscientific <laughs> yeah those are my complaints those are my main ones too but despite these failings brother blood does a pretty damn good job in this issue hell of an entrance man he's like all his new acolytes ac acolytes 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 oh mm -hmm. acolytes are like praise yeah his acolytes are giving him accolades that's what I'm trying to say. Yes. He's got them all lined up. There's hundreds of people. And uh, uh, what's the lady's name? Mistress Mayhem? We see Mother Mayhem Mother is there, Mayhem. but also Sister Serenity is there. And I think it's Sister Serenity. Oh, is she leading the rise, rise, rise? Chant? Yeah. That is pretty bonkers. Like, that That to me felt very much like 80s horror movie. All these people in robes chanting, rise, rise, rise. Yeah. And then this guy coming up out of his blood lava and blah, yeah, Super and being creepy. handed... It looks like she's bringing him a towel at first. I know. Which it seems like she should have brought him maybe a towel and his ceremonial robes. And they're going to get all... They're going to get all... Lava and bloody. Yeah. Blood lava. They're going to get all ooky. Gross. Blava? Blava. And he does. You see, he is kind of sticky. It's really pretty gross. Yeah. But everybody's standing around and chanting. Mother Mayhem and Sister Serenity are there. And he's brother blood. How far out do you think that naming convention goes? Do they have, like, Cousin Bruce? <laughs> uh, or... <laughs> no, no, I think it's just like a... Uncle Stubbed Toe? Higher echelons only <laughs> deal. Hmm. Everybody else is just it is, labor. It is nice that he's avoiding the obvious... I mean, clearly it is kind of a patriarchy, but he's avoiding the obvious choice father. of calling himself Father Blood, mm -hmm. which sounds creepier, mm -hmm. but I think doesn't have... The alliteration that he's looking for. Mm -hmm. Which I think that may be the whole reason for that. As oh. a naming convention, Mother Mayhem, Brother Blood, Sister Serenity. Oh. So it would have to be like Cousin Crime. Mm. Or like Uncle Underpants. <laughs> Uncle Underpants. <laughs> it's the first word I could think of that starts with you. So that's kind of weird. But he does a very good job on television. He debates with the best of them. 
Yes, despite the fact that in order to appear reasonable to an American audience of TV watchers, he decides to change out of his previous helmet, which was a snake skull, which, good choice, you're not going to win a lot of people, a lot of conservative Midwestern Americans with that outfit. Are afraid of snakes. Yeah, so he changes into a different helmet that has Viking horns and a ton of spikes all over it and a demon skull for a nose and then a mustache made out of shark's teeth. And it is a weird-ass looking helmet. It was a very questionable choice. It really is odd because he is really trying to be reasonable and everyone is talking to him as though he is reasonable but he's got that helmet on he's also got like this huge dracula cape that he keeps swirling in front of himself it is so bizarre that juxtaposition and it really is the tooth mustache thing that it comes over his mouth in a way that was hard for me to look at it's like you're gonna poke yourself in the face with those teeth (sighs) It went from scary to silly pretty quickly. Yeah. I feel like. Maybe yeah. that's why he did it. Maybe. It's like, my snake hat is too scary for these people, <laughs> so I'll put on this goofy, goofier demon face. Yeah. I mean, it was goofy by way of overkill in the demonic thing, which I don't think is going to put a lot of people at ease in general. But maybe it is a thing where he's just like, fuck, I want to play this shit on hard mode. Like, I am so charismatic and so good at having an albino baboon-esque level of mass hypnosis that I gotta give myself some little challenges here. Well, they do touch on that a bit, which I'm curious to hear more about, because I don't think that it's necessarily he is the world's greatest uh, orator. It must be, have some, some magical component to it. some sneaky shit going on because everybody's like, yeah, 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 what that guy said, what that guy yeah, said. Yeah, he sounds great. I really hope that's what's going on because the other option is Marv Wolfman just loves the dialogue that he wrote for him so much. And it's like, yeah, this would be super convincing to everybody. Mm. And it's, it's not. Generous at it's, best. You see that sometimes where someone in a work of fiction will be described as a genius and then the author of that fiction will try to show what their work is that they're ingenious for doing. And I'm like, yeah, that's not that good. Mm. <laughs> to be fair, though, Brother Blood is apparently very charismatic and despite his wacky costume, appears to be very good on camera and in front of crowds. The Titans, not so much. I love Wonder Girl. She does a very bad job rebutting Brother Blood. Like, he gives his fairly reasonable kind of middle of the road response and is like nah man we're not doing anything bad we're doing good we're straightening these teens out when they're upset and they believe in a bigger cause i'm a religious person i don't have any any truck with murder with murder with giant armaments and donna's response is no we've seen what he does he turns children against their parents okay yes You also saw him murder kind of a lot of people with ray guns. He tortured you and tried to feed you to a giant spider. Maybe lead with that. It seems like that would be more damning information for the public to have. They all do a bad job, and Donna is in charge of the Titans doing a bad (laughs) job. And my heart went out to her. (laughs) Yeah. Because I was just like, that must have sucked. It really does. Because you know, you're like, this dude tried to feed me a giant spider, but I can't tell everybody that because nobody believes in giant spiders. I think people in the DCU believe in giant spiders. You think so? That's like the least weird shit that happens on a Thursday. Damn. Well, yeah, then she should have totally let it that. (laughs) 
I do sympathize for her. It isn't illustrated well, but the way that she describes what is happening as, we have all of these facts that they need to refute, but they're arguing with emotion instead of facts, and we can't overcome that because people want to hear the emotion. And I know that frustration, and I think we've witnessed a fair amount of that recently. <sighs> yeah. So one of the people who was presenting opposing views to Donna and the Titans on Bethany Snow's hit show, Snowstorm, bum, 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 bum. Mm -hmm. was, there's a number of senators, and I think they're the newly elected senators uh, that are replacing the senators that the information the Titans uncovered, I'm using air quotes there, at Brother Blood's secret Alaskan base, had gotten this first set of congressman fired mm -hmm. and the titans are starting to catch on to the fact that they were maybe dupes in that situation but i think this new set of senator and congressman's elect that are brought on bethany snow's show are in fact the real dupes of brother blood and we all see them agreeing with him mm -hmm. one of them is a senator elect Stu silverfeet cummings one how the fuck do you get the nickname silverfeet and b why doesn't Cyborg have that nickname? The dude literally has silver feet. Those are two excellent questions. <laughs> Thank You're you. Thank you. That I don't have the answer for. <laughs> I don't know. Silver feet, silver gloves, boxing champion, silver feet. That's golden gloves. Uh, boxing sub-champion. Sure. So do you think it's like it, like he's fast, but he's not the fastest? Maybe he was like the second fastest guy on his sports team? Or second best uh, savant man. Oh, that's very kicky stuff. Yeah, yeah, Robin will tell you that. I'm sorry, not Robin, just Dick. Hey, if we're going with the Saul into Paul parable, mm -hmm. we do see that Dick converts to a new religion in this. Yeah, true. Does he have to change his name to Prick? <laughs> <laughs> maybe Stu Silverfeet Cummings was like a ice skater? That seems maybe the most plausible. Because skates are silvery? Yeah, they're shiny the metal. metal. I mean, it seems like that would be kind of a weak nickname for a hockey skater because everybody has that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, it's just this weird aside that's thrown in that he has that nickname, and we don't know why. I wonder if it's some kind of an inside joke. But uh, I like it as a nickname, and I kind of wish that Cyborg had that as a nickname. Too late. Yeah. Sorry, Borgie. So we see that Dick or Prick or... Whichever we're calling him these days, but not Robin. Definitely not Robin. Take your pick. Um, Corey made a fun a fun face to be proud of himself when he said, take your pick. So I want to acknowledge that. Not that you made the face, but good one, Corey. Thanks. Because if we had a Paul Saul situation... Yeah, that it, could, would, it would be pick, it not would be prick. prick. Yeah, probably. We don't know. The Lord works in mysterious ways, Corey. He would totally be a prick. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but when... Uh, Joe Walsh, let's call him, mm -hmm. goes undercover as a TV reporter and meets with the various senators who have been ousted due to the Titans' perhaps flawed detective work, let's say. They decide to go on a fact-finding mission to Zandia, which, as soon as they got in the plane, I mean, we do get a panel telling us to be nervous about that. Mm -hmm. I would have been anyway. These senators seem like nice people, and one of their wives warns them against going to Zandia. Please, honey, it's not worth it. And he responds, clearing my name, Annie, my dad always said that when it comes right down to things, all you've got is your good name. Besides, what could happen? 
that was in contention for one of my favorite panels because uh, it just looks like he's and, in for the worst trouble. Well, and that gets doubled down on him. This, I think, is unnecessarily so. Fateful words which will soon return to haunt Senator John Charles. Yeah, I get that. But also, I was feeling that before he said, what could possibly go wrong? At least in part because a bunch of senators going to a foreign country to investigate a cult. So many shades of the Jonestown tragedy there. And uh, really ominous and foreboding. When they get to Zandia, they meet with the president of Zandia, who they know is a pawn of Brother Blood, but he warns them against Brother Blood, because one of the tactics that Brother Blood has chosen is to set himself up in opposition to the president, like a weird charade that I'm not sure why he's doing that. But there is a really fun moment where Bethany Snow says, Congressman Hitchcock, what's your feeling of President Marco? And he responds, not a bad guy, Bethany, but did you ever see any politician let his hair down when the press was around? And as she is holding a microphone to his face, she says, Good point, Mr. Congressman. <laughs> and I thought that was kind of funny. I liked that. Zing. I think that was intentional and a nice little moment of levity in this book. Little zinger. Yeah. From somebody, though, who, to be fair, we have to point out is also a dupe of Brother Oh, Blood. yes. She is also evil. Quite. And... As it has been made more clear as the series has gone on, she is definitely an evil person who is in league with Brother Blood still. They have been illustrating her as being progressively older, which I think is kind of a weird choice. I don't know if that was always the intention and just in the early issues there was maybe a miscommunication in the artwork. I think maybe they want to make her be more of a stand-in for Barbara Walters mm. than she had been. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So maybe that's the idea, but it, it it feels a little off. Yeah, yeah, the chronology is a little out of whack. Yeah. That said, stressful job. That's true. Maybe that's all it is. Oof, running things. Oof. There was one more thing that I wanted to bring up. At the end of the issue, the Titans get captured, and they are all tied to this enormous demon skull that is hanging over Brother Blood's lava slash enemy blood pool but this skull has like seven teeth that are hanging down in front of the demon where the mouth would be seems really impractical these long tusks do you think demons are like rabbits and like that if they don't constantly wear down their front fangs then they just it'll cover up their whole mouth and maybe that's how that demon died I hadn't thought about that, but now that you mentioned it, it seems it seems plausible. Yeah. I think that's the only real reason why that demon would have had those tusks there. And that's that's really cruel if they let that demon do that. They didn't give him any kind of like a thing to chew on. Oh, well, that's really in keeping. And then he probably starved to death. It's in keeping with Brother Blood's cruel tactics. Yeah. Like that spider. Got yeah, he really did not feed that spider enough teenagers, and that made the spider very angry. Yeah, spider abuse. Yeah, not cool. Spider abuse, demon abuse. These are the hot-button issues that Donna should have led with. Down really with Brother swayed. Blood. Yes, he does not feed his giant spider enough teenagers. He does not file his demon's teeth. <laughs> Give them a chew toy. Demons need chew toys. Two toys, two toys. Yep. Should have hired us to do PR. Exactly. <laughs> save the day. Oh, man. <laughs> Brother Blood wouldn't have stood a chance. If any PR firms are listening. If you are an evil cult leader. No, wait, no. If you want to help take down an evil cult leader. That's right. 
we're we're an evil cult leader. I mean, we can't afford to turn down too many paychecks. We're a new PR firm. That's true. Anyway, hit us up. You can find us at 1-900-INTERNET-STREET, care of the computer. Was there anything else you wanted to bring up before we get into the minutiae, Corey? There is one small tidbit, which was at the beginning, going back to Beast Boy being a real shit. Oh, sure. And uh, Questor just cracking up after that last teacher got fired because he knew that Beast Boy was going to be in trouble. Yeah, I really appreciated that. And that the form that that trouble was going to take was he might have to go to public school. Oh, God. Where he'll have to do homework until he's old and gray. Or as... His stepdad says, like, or maybe in your case, chartreuse. I don't know how aging works on green people. Mm -hmm. Fair point. Nice little touch there. Also, it seems like neither Steve Dayton nor Beast Boy has any idea how public school works. Yeah, you know. I mean, there is a lot of homework, but it's not prison. Like, you don't get a public school sentence. Like, they'll they'll lock you up in public school and throw away the key for 40 years. Mm -hmm. Or they were just saying, he's so stupid. Yeah. That it's going to take him that long. Right. If I'm not paying somebody to let you pass your classes, then there is no way you're ever going to pass. Right. It's a real Billy Madison situation. Mm. Here we go again. Billy yeah. Madison. Comes up a lot. Yeah. Questor is really, really laughing it up that Beast Boy has been even mildly rebuked and feels somewhat bad about what an asshole he's been. That is a huge win for Questor, which really does drive home what a piece of shit beast boy is and how incredibly privileged he is that like witnessing the very idea of him considering that he may have been out of line and that his actions may have some consequence is like oh yes justice is served (laughs) ah revenge is a dish best served as an all-you-can-eat buffet oh those are not good usually all-you-can-eat buffets yeah Corey. Izzy's pizza is gross. Okay, yes. Izzy's pizza is gross. Bad buffets are gross. But I'm not going to sit here and let you malign the very concept of an all-you-can-eat buffet. It is the one gambling establishment in which I can usually beat the house. (laughs) That's true. You're a stouter of stomach and stronger of will than I. (laughs) Ha ha! Yeah, yeah, like the Super King. Yeah. Best name. Uh Uh-huh. Not so good. Super King is really good, though. I wonder if Dick has considered that as a name. Super King. Yeah. Ooh. He should totally be Super King. That's a good name. Yeah, I wonder if the buffet people have that tied up. Mm. I will say after those buffets, despite the fact that I am proud of myself for having one, I do not feel like a winner. <laughs> no, no. Do you remember that we went to the, the one in Las Vegas two times in one day? I do. Ha! Good Lord. You ready to get into the minutia? I think that's our cue. Rick, would you mind singing us in? We got minutia. It's not the biggest part, it's just minutia. Like Corey eating farts, we got minutia. Time to sweat the small stuff. Thanks, Rick. Thanks. Corey, what was your favorite sound effect? There were so many. There were so many good ones. Do I go complicated or do I go simple? I don't know. You go with what your heart tells you to go. Okay, my heart says simple. Okay. I'm going to go with the sound that... When a chair is kicked out from under you, your butt hitting the ground makes. Yeah, that was pretty fun. And that's, uh, whoop. Whoop. There it is, Corey. That was very nice. And that is because Tara was chewing gum in class and had her feet up on the table. Very naughty. Yes, quite. So the teacher kicked the chair out from under her and she fell on her bottom. Yes. 
I had another one from that same sequence of the teacher being very fed up with her pupils. And that was flam, oh, which is noise. the noise that it makes of a book being thrown at a monkey. That monkey being Gar in this case, who had very recently been a koala. But yeah, that makes the noise flam, which I always like because it reminds me of the Lloyd Alexander books and the character Fluter Flam. But my absolute favorite was the noise it makes when an earthbending teenage double agent tunnels through many, many feet of solid rock and creates a, I guess like a vacuum seal between a submarine and a underground cult antechamber. Mm -hmm. And that noise is scrooge. Spop. I also had Scrooge Spop written down. That was fun. That was a fun one. I had one runner-up. What was that? And that was the noise that Robin's secret alarm makes when it goes off at the Teen Titans Computer Control Center. Is that Zing Zing? Yep. Zing Zing. <laughs> it is weird. It's a pretty cute little noise. That, that is not bad. I wish I could have my alerts make the noise. Zing Zing. I guess I could just say that and record it. Oh, no, no. Seems that's like a, a bad idea. Work. I did yeah. that once when uh, Apple Computers released the thing where you could record your voice and uh -huh. then use it for sounds. Yeah. And I had one. I record myself going, hey. And every time it would go off, it terrified me. Oh. Because I thought I was home alone or whatever, and my I heard this voice being like, Hey! Oh, man. That who, does sound scary. Who's that? Don't do that. Okay, I won't do that. Thanks. Good call. Thank you. You're welcome. Sartorially speaking, which incidents of fashion in this issue do you feel are worthy of note? So I did refer earlier to my notes, which I had somewhat cryptically scrawled out, Blonde Dick. Sure. But his disguise is good. He's got, uh, I guess we'd call it a maroon suit. Sure. It, it's, yeah, it's somewhere between brown and maroon, I think. Uh, maybe like a burgundy. Seems very 70s to me, even though we're in the mid 80s. At this yeah. Point. It's got a like real estate agent look to it. Mm -hmm. It's not, not quite the bright red of a Century 21 blazer, but uh, yeah, it's definitely a very cohesive look that uh, that goes well with the... Blonde wig and blonde mustache. Yeah, he looks real... Oh, like a Ron Burgundy. Yeah, kind of. Kind of deal. I wonder if he considered just having his crime-fighting alter ego. I know we talked about this a little bit, but having it just be another dude's name. It seems like that would be the most effective way to go about it. Like another superhero's name? No, just be like Joe Walsh. Or oh. just like pick like a regular dude's name and have like... You wear a blonde wig and a mustache. Mm -hmm. And oh, I guess this new guy, Joe Walsh is a crime fighter you could have a utility belt you don't need to wear a mask because you're wearing the wig and mustache mm -hmm. like why not just go that route too simple too obvious no way my sartorially speaking choice also was dick but not blonde dick uh mm -hmm. regular brunette dick mm -hmm. and cyborg when they are leaving the tv studios they both look fly as fuck Dick is wearing a nice brown track jacket with maroon stripes down the shoulders, which looks great. And Cyborg has what really appears to be a velour track jacket that he is wearing without a shirt on underneath it. And it looks so cool. I actually had that written down too because the way that the light's hitting it, it looks like it has a purple like kind of halo yeah. around it. So it's like super shiny black velour. Yeah. Like, but it, it looks like it's got that, like, 
like velour or velvet type thing to it where it's that kind of shininess. The poppable collar <sighs> and a zipper. So good, man. Yeah, it's a nice top. Yeah. A lot of times when you get like a black velour, it'll end up just looking brown the way that light reflects off of it. But this doesn't. This no. Is, purple is shiny. Yeah. It's really good. High quality. Yeah. Nice. Top grade. 100%. Well done, Cyborg. Looking good. Looking good. I had a runner-up. What was your runner-up? My runner-up was somewhat not cheapened, but made gross by, by Beast Boy doing the dog thing. But it was on page 12, the uh, red and white outfit that Starfire is wearing. Mm. It's stripy. There's a skirt. There's matching socks. Like, it's it's pretty cute. Sure. It's pretty cool. But gross. Yeah, not the outfit isn't gross. No, it's, no, no, no. Beast Boy's reaction to it and the fact that he turns into a dog doesn't looks up her skirt is super gross. Yes. Also, I don't know if you noticed that, but in that panel, in the background, there is a fire hydrant, and we see that there is liquid dripping off the fire hydrant. Did Beast Boy turn into a dog, pee in public, and then look up Starfire's skirt? Because the answer is yes, he did. Of course, of course. <sighs> so gross. I bet when he turns into his animal form, he pees and shits in public all the time. I bet you're right. I bet he's really into it, too. Ugh. I hate Beast Boy. He's bad. Yeah. Um, we just both crossed our arms <laughs> in, in disapproval. Now, did you have a timestamp or a show and tell for this issue? I had both, and both are, I think, a little weak. But when their powers combine... Still weak. You get um, lava. So... My, my timestamp was the, I don't know if you call it like shock news or pop news, but like the talk show Snowstorm yeah. by Bethany Snow. Because I do recall in the 80s, there were topically shows like this, like these, these you know, news shows that were, you know, maybe not so much news, but right. like to pull the listener in, Morton Downey Jr., kind of shock jock kind of yeah TV. this this has almost the feel of like a donahue good morning northwest type feel to mm. it though from the set but yeah no i actually had the same thing as my timestamp the set of the show because we pull back and we see the cameras and everything it looks very early 80s mm -hmm. like tv studio and yeah that kind of like infotainment show yeah and the, the thing that I decided to zero in on is the fact that you see somebody crouching down and holding up cue cards. And the fact that they're doing that rather than having any kind of a teleprompter situation. Uh, I know they still do sometimes use cue cards, but th there was something about that that I was like, oh, yeah, that's when this is happening. Mm -hmm. Yep. Very 80s. All the time. Mm -hmm. Time stamp. You said you had a show and tell as well? The show and tell was when the Titans were overcome by the poisonous gas and Cyborg went, ah, gas! Yeah, good point. Yep. Although there is an in-story reason for him to announce that just as a warning to his fellow teammates. Gas! Sorry. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get this out of the way. Uh, in every issue of a new Teen Titans comic, there is an Aqualad, the greatest of Teen Titans, and there is also a Speedy, the worst of Teen Titans. In this issue, who was your Speedy? I think it will come as no surprise to you or the listeners, but due to the aforementioned behavior of a certain Gar Logan, mm -hmm. it is Beast Boy. It is Beast Boy. Fuck that guy. Yeah. Not cool, Beast Boy. Gross. Gross. And gross. Full agreement.
I also did have, I mean, not really in contention, but as a backup, uh, also I think Donna did a very bad job on the TV show and had a weird moment where she was talking with Starfire about planning her wedding and tells Starfire, the orange-skinned, space-fire-haired, no-pupil-eyed alien, <laughs> I can't invite Gar and Vic. They're really conspicuous. <laughs> She didn't say she couldn't invite them. She, she said just... it would be difficult. She doesn't know how she would get them into her Donna Troy wedding. Because it's Donna Troy's wedding, not Wonder Girls. First of all, Donna, look who you're talking to. No, 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 no. Can't you give them a pair of sunglasses? Just give them Put sunglasses. a wig on them? Yep. Give them a fake mustache? That's all. Second of all, Donna, your whole disguise seems to be a pair of earrings. I think people can see through that and figure out that you are, in fact, Wonder Girl. It's the whole disguise conundrum. Yeah, it, it really is. I, I thought that was worth mentioning. Mostly, she did a very bad job on TV and did lead in her first excursion with the team, the Titans, into a trap. So, I mean, very te- very on brand for, for the Teen Titans, but not the best leadership, necessarily. But that, that in no way compares to the shit job that uh, Beast Boy did. So, you're absolutely right. Beast yeah. Boy is the speedy. Conversely, who is your Aqualad? Well, this may be a point of contention for you, mm-hmm. but due to Donna assuming the leadership mantle and having the guts to go in front of millions of people and testify in front of Congress, despite the fact that she did a terrible job. She didn't testify. Bethany Snow isn't Congress. I mean, there were Congress members present. Oh, that's right. It was a talk show. Yeah. But still. I, I mix those up all the time. I mean, which one of them's really calling the shots in this country? Am I right? I thought it was <laughs> courageous of her. I think that the Titans needed leadership, and I appreciated that she stepped up and gave it her best shot and acknowledged that she did a bad job and that I think she'll learn and she'll grow from the experience. So for the effort, I gave Donna the nod. Okay. I actually went with Tara. She did a really good job in this issue. She at least sowed the seeds that she might be having second thoughts about betraying the team. Or if she isn't having second thoughts, then she's doing a very good job of subterfuge and of fooling Beast Boy. So for efficacy, you get that. But mostly, she used her powers to tunnel through more tunnel than she had ever tunneled through before to hook the Teen Titans fucking dope-ass T-sub, which they have never used before. And Cyborg's like, how come we don't use this all the time? And nobody answers him. Mm -hmm. But she hooks that sub up with the antechamber of the Church of Blood subterranean lair and makes the aforementioned scrooge spop noise and uh, does a really good job. And there really just weren't a lot of good jobs done by the Titans. No, that's fair. That's fair. That's fair. Okay. I see your point. Now we have a difficult one. What was your favorite panel? We're not allowed to pick the cover, right? No, but man, we should talk about it because that cover is just fucking gorgeous. It is Brother Blood just covered in... I mean, come on, it's lava. He's, He's covered in lava and he's surrounded by lava and there's stalactites and stalagmites and his eyes are glowing brighter through the red and orange blood and lava than the fires and it's really cool looking and there's the silhouette of a demon skull and of mother mayhem and the acolytes in the background and god damn it's nice the titans are hanging from those demon skull teeth in a way that's really like biblical like the way they look crucified it's 
pretty crazy. And they're in silhouette form too, so you have to kind of look. They're almost hidden images, the the Titans, because they're colored the same color as the stalactites. Yes, yeah, stalactites. I have to go through that every single time. I do too. But that is the cover and not a panel. So uh, what did you have for your panel? So the closest I could get to the cover was page 23, which I called Skull. Ooh, yes. The final image of the Titans being tied to the tusk-like protrusions that that demon has because it was not given a true toy mm -hmm. as they are about to be lowered into the pool of lava. Yeah, it's dramatic. It's well executed. It's pretty cool looking, full of detail. It is. I have a different panel, but it takes place in the same room, and it is on page two, and it is Brother Blood reaching out his hand from the Blood Lava uh, horror movie style. Mm. And it's just so cool looking and really so emblematic of like a scene out of Zombie, We Are Going to Eat You. Pretty good. Or a movie like that. Yeah, it's just both of his hands. He's been fully submerged in the blood and lava. And he's emerging and you see his acolytes on the bridge behind him in the background. And rise from the blood of thine enemies. Okay, I'm sorry, but unless his enemy is volcanoes, that's not what that is. It's also so many enemies. Yeah, I mean, it's over at least, okay, 600 years. It's 700 Stop lying about your age, brother, blood. <laughs> but still, that is a ridiculous amount of blood, especially because it would burn up immediately when it entered the hot lava. Science. Maybe his enemies is volcanoes. Maybe so. Whose enemy is volcanoes? I'm Do stumped. volcanoes have enemies? Um, Let's see. I'm trying to, like... Uh, has anybody ever blown one up? Not that I know of. I mean, other than themselves. Oh, maybe volcanoes are their own greatest enemy. Oh. Oh, maybe Brother Blood's secretly a volcano. Oh, no. Oh, that would answer a lot of questions, but raise so many more. Oh, no. <laughs> it just gets more and more confusing. Indeed. Corey. Yes. Let's take this party to the Bozone. What instance of a character calling another character a bozo, either literally or metaphorically, do you wish to highlight? I could not find any natural bozos. I believe for the first time in a while, it feels like, we do not have a natural bozo. Which is strange, because Terra is a fan of throwing around uh, B-bombs. Oh, yeah, but, man. But uh, no, no dice here. However, she does establish a good theme with Gar being both moldy and mold head. Mm-hmm. So I went with uh, with those. Yeah, I had the same thing. Yeah, she first calls him Moldhead and then continues to call him Moldy. Like, she's really trying to make this stick. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate that. Mm -hmm. Because I appreciate anybody talking shit about Beast Boy. He is so bad this time. Yeah. But yeah, I had the same thing. She calls him Moldhead when they're in class together. And then when he's flying around and it's like, I like you. And she's like, you like me? Now I need to think about stuff. Mebby. Maybe I do. Maybe. Maybe. But at, during that sequence, she calls him moldy. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Good job. Thank you. You're welcome. Well, I think that mostly wraps things up. But I do have one more question for you, Corey. Yes. Wapoot! Ah. In the year of our Lord, 1984, and the month of our Lord March, what was Aqualad probably up to? Wapoot! So, among his many, 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 many interests, one which has not yet come up is his fascination 
with local politics oh. in cities around the U.S. I did not know that. Yes. So now more than ever, really, the Titans could use his expertise. Absolutely. But in March of 1984, where we find Aqualad is in our fair city of roses, ah. working on the campaign of one Bud Clark, who later went on to become mayor uh-huh. of Portland. And he was a real sort of anti-establishment fellow at the time. Uh-huh. Previous and future bartender. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. He went from owning a tavern to being a mayor and back, back, to the, yeah. back to the tavern. However, when Aqualad was here helping out with the campaign, disaster struck. <gasps> a tanker, I believe it was a mobile tanker, the petroleum company, was, mm-hmm. was going down the Columbia River between Oregon and Washington and crashed and began releasing huge amounts of oil into oh, the no. Columbia River, you know, damaging the ecosystem, killing birds, hurting fish, doing all of this stuff. The sturgeon, Corey, the sturgeon. Yeah. And uh, so Aqualad sprang into action, not quite quick enough to, you know, avert the disaster, but was able to stop it by the time 170,000 some odd gallons of oil had Oof. coursed into the to the Columbia River. But he was at least able to mitigate it slightly. He was able to slightly mitigate it, and um, boy, he really gave those folks at Mobile an earful. Also, good. And then uh, Bud Clark went on to win mayor. So oh, that's nice. All around, good job, Aqualad. Yeah, and did he make that uh, poster, Expose Yourself to Art? Was that Bud Clark? I, or did that just look that, like that, him? That was Bud Clark, okay. and you know what? What? Aqualad had a little hand in that, too. Ah. He's like, you know what would be funny, man? Yeah. It's if you pretended to flash the statue of a lady downtown. Oh, and dear. it was the 80s. <laughs> yeah. Aqualad was Aqualad, so. Sure. That was one thing that Aqualad was probably up to. But later on in the month, Aqualad was... Uh, Hanging out with one of his biggest fans, Sir Andrew Lloyd Webber. Ah. Andrew Lloyd Webber, huge Teen Titans fan. Not a lot of people know that. Hmm. But he could not get enough of the Titans' exploits. And uh, as a result, he invited Aqualad to his wedding. And on March 22nd, when Andrew Lloyd Webber wed actress Sarah Brightman, Aqualad was in attendance. Aqualad wants to be a good guest, so he brought a gift. And knowing what a big fan of his former exploits, Sir Andrew Lloyd Webber was, he ended up bringing one of his trophies from his crime-fighting career. Back in the original Teen Titans series, issue 49, the Titans went up against a gang called the Rocket Rollers, a group of teenagers headed by a brainiac who, uh, they wore roller skates and, uh, skated around and did actually fairly well against the Titans. But... Aqualad saved one of their costumes after they defeated them. And he presented that to Andrew Lloyd Webber on his wedding. And that had a pretty significant effect on musical theater to come. Because five days later, Webber was opening the Starlight Express. And he totally scrapped his old plans for it. Because he was like, oh shit, rocket rollers, roller skates. That is so much better than pogo sticks. (laughs) <laughs> Previously, the whole musical was going to take place on pogo sticks, but he's like reworked the whole thing and was like, I only have five days, but I ha- it has to be roller skates instead of pogo sticks. And uh, really changed the course of musical theater history with that decision, thanks to Aqualad. And that is what Aqualad was probably up to. Very nice. You did a good job. And you did a good job listening to us, listener. Thanks. Thank you. 
If you would like to get into touch with us, you can do so at ttwasteland at gmail.com. If you'd like to find us on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram, thanks to Lisa, you can find us on those places. At Twitter, we are at ttwasteland underscore. The other places, just look up Tighten Up the Defense and you'll find us. If you would like to donate monetarily, you can do so at patreon.com slash ttwasteland. And if you do so, that will give you access to a number of bonus episodes that we've recorded and will give you access to future episodes one with which will be coming out pretty soon of the new What the Duck, a podcast most foul, but with a W, because he's a duck, that's the full name of the show, the new podcast that Lisa and I are hosting that is for our donors only. It is about Howard the Duck, and it is a hoot, or a quack, if you will. <laughs> it's funnier than that joke, I promise. <laughs> are there more things I have to say? Um, Tell your friends. Yeah. And leave us a review. Leave a review. Yeah. Come on, man. Come on, lady. Come on, everybody. Everybody, everybody. Leave us a review. That was very nice. <laughs> this is so good dumb. job. <laughs> <laughs> so come on and say nice things about us to your friends, your neighbors, your enemies, and strangers on the internet. Because... We like people saying nice things about us. It's a nice thing to do. And it helps people find the show. And uh, if you enjoy it, maybe they would too, and they'll thank you. It's always nice to be thanked. Yes, which is why I'm thanking you right now for doing that. Although I don't like to thank people in advance for doing things. I feel like it makes it seem like it's assumed. Obligatory, even. Yeah. When you make a request and then end it with, please and thank you. No, that's not how that works. That assumes that they are going to comply with your request rather than giving them the option of deciding how they will. And that's like the opposite of polite. You don't like that. I don't like it at all. Mm -hmm. So please leave us a review. And thank you if you have done so. There you go. If you haven't done so or don't want to do so, then you do not receive my thanks. Please erase that part from the podcast. (laughs) That was not for you. Harsh but fair. Thank you. Goodbye. Hi, everyone. <laughs> Thank you. Corey. What? Oh, sorry. Thanks in advance. Wait, no. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye. And they know it. Oh, did we tell Rick to sing a song? No, we gotta. Okay. It's pretty good. That's pretty good. Not bad. Um, yeah, bounce that, flip it, and reverse it. Rick, would you mind singing us?